Hey there, this is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the storytelling family, where we tell tabloid-worthy tidbits, live on stage, stripped of notes and inhibitions. I'm your host, Jessica Holmes. Now, hot off the presses, it's paper, stories of pulp, paydays, and pulling one over, with the slam from our July 25th summer season show. During the slam... We randomly draw names from a random vessel, and the chosen few have five minutes to stand up on stage and give a real paper chase. Because life's more sensational than any gossip brag. It's late night stories. I'm your host tonight, Lita Newstetter. I used to write for the Boise Weekly. Anybody here read that? Okay. Well, this was back in the mid-90s, and I... I wrote a little while there, and it came time for the sex edition, which I don't know if you guys remember. I haven't seen it for a long time. I don't know if they even do that anymore. Does anybody remember when they used to do the yearly yeah. sex? Yeah. So we all sit around the table, basically, and brainstorm sex topics, and then figure out who's willing to actually write about the sex topic. So one of the topics was your worst sexual experience and your best sexual experience, and Who was willing to write about that? Well, I will, said I. Yeah. So as I was sitting around thinking about it, my worst was very clearly my first. (laughs) On a side note, I'll mention that my sister is in town this weekend for her 30th high school reunion, or her third, 10th reunion, however you want to word that. Um, And... So first times was a big topic of conversation, high school crushes, first times, and it seems like the first time being a horrible experience was a common theme amongst the ladies. So I don't know, but anyway, me too. So my worst time was definitely my first, and my best was kind of close to the last guy I was with, so I thought, well, how about I'll throw a couple more in between, you know, I'll kind of do a little spectrum. So I ended up picking like five guys from like horrible, to like, not good, to like, you know, okay, pretty good, to like, yeah, that was awesome. No identifying information about these guys, right? I mean, this was back in the days before Facebook where there was this thing called privacy. (laughs) People had it, they appreciated it, they enjoyed it. So, so I write, (laughs) I write all about my sex life. It goes in the weekly, everybody reads it, and I'm curious, like, what are these guys gonna think? Is this bad? Is this good? I was waiting to see if, you know, the worst guy was going to, like, look me up. How dare you say that about me? What I ended up finding was several guys approaching me saying, How come I didn't make it into your article? <laughs> <laughs> and then the most awkward, So where would you put me on that spectrum? <laughs> And of course I told all of them, oh, definitely the best. You were the best. You would have been on the best. Like you were, yeah, no. So that is my, that is my sex story forever preserved for you on paper at the Boise Weekly. I wanted to tell you one other little story that I wrote in this write about your sex life situation that was happening at the Boise Weekly. And it is about our other season sponsor, adult, the over 19 adult shop. 
So as we were sitting around the table talking about these ideas of, you know, what could somebody write about, I admitted that I had never been to an adult shop. And they were like, well, would you, you know, be willing to go to an adult shop and, you know, just write about what it's like? And I was like, okay. Oh. So the over 19. That's not what I said the first time, though, huh? That's what it's actually called. Yeah. Right? The over 19? Yeah. You're making me doubt myself, Nancy. Like, I don't know. This is, um, um, um. So I write this story about my sister, who is here from Texas. Natalie, wave, wave at the people. Because I can't go into this shop by myself. I know. I know it's stupid. Okay, I'm owning it. So I make her come, and it's, I write this article about us being complete idiots. Like, from the minute we get out of the car, like, oh, my God, I don't want to go. 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 Oh, my God, somebody's looking at us. We got to go. We got to go. So like we get into the door, you know, and we're just hovering by the door, and there's a hallway, you know, and you just know, like, debauchery is happening. And we're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We're whispering, like, write the article. It's ridiculous. Finally, we get into the shop, you know, and it's like, ah! like oh no, you know, and I just, felt, I don't know, it was, it was crazy. There's a lot of fun things at that shop. If you haven't been, please go. You guys have probably all been there, but, but for me, it was a big deal. So, we got to pick out something for me to buy. What should I buy? What should I buy? I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a dildo. Okay, I'm going to buy a dildo. What kind? What size? What color? What, I mean, it's like all these choices. So I pick out this one, you know, that looks, I thought like maybe they're gonna take a picture of it for the article, so like I'll get one that's like visually appealing, you know? Uh, so I buy, so I write my little article about me and my sister being complete idiots and buying this dildo. So over the next couple weeks, I have quite a few people coming and talking to me, you know, wow, I read, read those articles, you know, wow. Because they came out one after the other. Like one week was the experiences on a spectrum and the next week was the buying my, you know, and so people are like, good, you know, right on. And I have a couple women that are like, you know, it's like brave. It's like, it's really, you know, and I'm thinking kind of, I mean, yeah, it's kind of personal stuff to be revealing to the world, I realize. And finally, this one woman says it to me in a way she was like, I don't know, you know, not that many people are willing to admit that they masturbate. You know, so it's just cool that you were just like, I'm just going to like tell everybody. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, I had forgotten to include in the article that like going to the store had been an assignment and that like, so it just looked like I wanted a vibrator and just wanted to tell the whole world about it. And it was about that time that I started getting prank calls because, you know, this was when we had phone books and my name was in it. And I'd get these like, is this Lita? Hi. My name is John. You know, I'm just like, ah! So yes, I got an unlisted number. And that was the end of my writing about my sex life for the Boise Weekly. First story slammer is Kevin Mullen. 
So paper in five minutes, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can do this in five minutes. So this, is a, a, this story is about an actual paper. It's a paper I wrote in grad school. Um, I graduated with a master's in public administration in 2005, so this happened in 2003 or four. And uh, I was taking organizational theory, most exciting topic in the world, right? <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm in class, and we'd been reading about um, Max Weber and his uh, strong executive and the power of bureaucracies and how they have a stabilizing force on uh, politicians and political parties so that if you have an extreme politician on one side, like we do this year, like a Trump, and you have an extreme politician on the other side, like uh, Bernie Sanders, the bureaucracies have a stabilizing force and don't allow things to swing in extreme situations. So we're learning about this and we're doing our reading. And uh, again, I don't remember exactly what year this happened, but I remember it was the fall after the summer blockbuster of Pirates of the Caribbean. So I'm a big movie buff, and I'm thinking, okay, what? Okay, I, I, I'm thinking about bureaucracies. i got to write a paper on bureaucracy. This is, I, I need to do something fun. So how about the Royal British Navy and how they lost control of their colonial bureaucracy as they were moving further and further out into the Americas, the West Indies and the British Virgin Islands, and they lost control of their administrative ability to control these outlying regions, and that the pirates of the Caribbean were doing well to keep the Royal British Navy at large. And I thought, I don't know shit about the Royal British Navy. What do I know a lot about? Star Wars. <laughs> so I started writing this paper, 12-page paper, and I'm hammering it out, and I'm writing about Max Weber, and I even called it Max Vader, and I compared Max Weber's strong executive to Darth Vader. I even quoted Princess Leia, who's talking to, Mac, to Darth Vader, saying, the stronger you squeeze the outlying star systems, the more they'll slip through your fingers. And so I'm writing, I just, I'm knocking this thing out. Four hours I write this 12-page paper. I, turn, I, I, I hit send, and I send it to my professor, Dr. Jan Mills. She's now retired from Boise State. Maybe some of you know her. And uh, I turn it in, I'm all fired up. I even, I even courtesy copied it to my faculty advisor. I said, this was so fun. The bureaucracy. There's nothing more boring than writing about bureaucracies. But I, I, wh I whipped it out. So I send it to Dr. Mills, and I go to class the next week, and she drops it off in my lap, and I, there's a note on the back page, and it says, Kevin, I need to see you. <laughs> That's never good. So she's, I go to her office hours, and she says, uh, I'm sorry, I can't grade your paper. She said, I've never seen Star Wars. So she said, can I have permission to share it with my husband? Who's, he's a criminal justice professor at Boise State. And she said, he's a big Star Wars nerd like you. 
So she, she says, can I share it with him? So she gives it to him. And I get a B minus. I knew there were holes, holes, holes big enough to fly the Death Star through. That's no moon, that's a space station. So I turned in, so, but I've shared it with my faculty advisor, and he said, you know, I sent this out to a couple other professors back in the East Coast, and I started getting emails from professors all over the United States. I may have been the first, maybe not the only, but certainly the first person to have an academic paper go, go viral. So I, and, and I was like, really fun paper. There were some holes. No way you got a B minus. So I turned this paper in, and I got, I got the, the assignment done. It was fun to write. Um, I got it done, and I guess may the force be with you. Susan Clark. It's my Susan. Susan Clark. I'm Susan Clark, and I've got a story. It's not very sexy, except for the fact that I swear a lot. So yesterday, I'm coming back from Boulder, Colorado. That, yeah, Boulder, anyone here from there? No, okay, you're, you're not fit enough. Um, <laughs> so I'm coming back from Boulder, Colorado. I'm on the board of directors for Shanti Children's Foundation there, yes, mm-hmm. and I free volunteers, you know, that sort of thing. We're volunteering to be on the board of directors. So we have to get there. We have to get back on our own dime. My niece very kindly says, hey, I work for an airline. If you want to fly standby, I can get you a really great deal. Standby, never done that before. Now I know why. So I said, okay, great. So she gives me two tickets. First ticket goes out on Thursday. That goes great. I only have to get up at 3 in the morning and then make it to the airport by about 5.30, wait around, and then at 6.15 my flight actually does leave and it has a single space on it, and that's for me. Okay, that works. Get to Boulder. The flight out is yesterday, 2.30. Now, anyone want to guess about how full flights are on Sundays out of Boulder? And not only that, but it's going to Seattle. It's, rent, you know, it's not, not direct. Mm-mm. We, we don't have direct flights to Boise because it's kind of not really where you want to go. So they end up, 2.30 comes around, you know, and I've, I've made my way back to the, Boulder Air, or to the uh, Denver airport, not a small thing, and taken the shuttle. I've gone in through security. I've gotten up to my, my little flight area. I've waited, and I've started watching the numbers on the ticker. And it says there are 265 flights, and it starts counting how many people are actually checked in. Well, I'm sitting there with my little boarding pass that says, mm, standby, and we get to 263. Want to guess how many were on the standby list? Any good one to guess? 14. And who gets on? Hey, the priority people are the people who work for the airlines. And Incidentally, were uh, people who were mechanics and needed in, in Seattle, so I didn't really want that flight. So they end up uh, saying, well, you know, there's two more flights. Two more flights. Okay, I'll, I can wait. How many people are on standby for those? There's eight in the second flight, and there are 14 again in the third flight. Oh, and it's cumulative. So mm, that's not going to happen. Second choice. Maybe I can drive back to Boise. So go back to the uh, place where I got my car, and I say, do you have a car? And they say, eh, maybe, you know, we can maybe work something out for about 150 bucks if you want to drive. Oh, and we forgot to tell you. Has anyone heard about a drop-off fee? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I didn't until then. $360 for the drop-off fee. Now you're, now you're smarter, huh? So that wasn't going to work. Um, I'm not particularly rich. So, okay, well, what am I going to do next? So I get on the phone and I call my significant other and I say, what the hell am I going to do? Okay, well, maybe you can check Greyhound. There might be a flight in the next, or a, a, a bus in the next few days, and it takes 20 hours. Oh, by the way, I had work today. So, not so good. Um, maybe uh, there might be an Amtrak. Mm-mm, not so good. So, what else is there? Try and see if you can get a flight to Utah, and then I'll come down and get you. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, I'll try that. Well, while I'm looking, I see that in 38 minutes, there's a United flight direct to Boise, if I just want to dump my entire savings into it. I need to get home for work, right? So what are the choices? Okay, so I have to now get on the shuttle back to the airport. And then I get to the airport, and I have to get up to the ticket window, and I found this really nice lady who's working at the ticket window, and I'm pretty sure she had just taken her Oxycontin. And so she starts uh, trying to enter my last name. Let me point out, it's Clark, that's five letters. And, and I'm watching. Now we're at 37 minutes. Now we're at 36 minutes. And she starts telling me stories about how many people have missed a flight that day. And while she's talking, she can't type. And finally, I say, ma'am, um, if you want, I can, I can help you with that. And she's like, oh, 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 okay. So she finally gets my boarding pass and everything else, and I can't check my luggage because there's not enough time. I've got my wheeled luggage. I've got my, my little uh, laptop. I've been there for work. And so mm, I've got a lot of crap. Time to try and make it to Concourse B. So, okay, which is the shortest route? Go through the north entrance. That's where the shortest security line is. Short is relative at the Denver airport. And so I get to that security line, and I stand in line, I stand in line, I look like I'm tweaking, I'm trying to get through there. And we finally get through the security, now the race is on. I'm a runner, I can do this. So I've got my, my roller bag, doesn't roll as well as I thought, I've got my laptop, I strap it around, it's got a bike bag thing, I've got it all cinched up, and I start running. And I get to the, the little... Uh, train that'll take you to the concourse and I'm on there I'm on there I'm waiting they mm, okay you know go through a now we're at b okay I'm off room up the escalator up the second escalator I'm on the right floor okay it's now 216 or yeah was it 416 416 the flight leaves at 418 I'm fast and I'm loud so Running, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, get me out of the way. Okay, okay, I'm coming through, I'm coming through. I get to B50 gate at exactly 418, and they have changed the gate. Shit. There's a chance it's united. So... Off I go again. I'd see on the little marquee where my next gate is. Okay, I'm going to go there. How in 38 minutes did they change the fucking gate already? Okay, here we go. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I run over someone. I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry, but I'm telling you as I'm going past you. And I get to the right gate. The door is shut. And I see the guy at the door, and he's 
little ticket guy, and I've got my ticket in my hand, my boarding pass, my actual boarding pass, not standby anymore, God damn it. And I run up to him, and I'm like, sir, I'm really sorry. I'm late. I know I'm two minutes late. Can you please let me on this flight? Can you please, please open the door and let me on this flight? I know the plane ha- couldn't possibly have left yet. Can you please let me on this flight? And he says, yes, I can, but we have to wait for the plane to arrive. It's an hour late. I kind of just put my name in to make Laura feel better because I knew she was nervous and she's kind of my mentor. Um, hi. <laughs> hi, hi, how's it going? Um, and oddly enough, as my mentor, we, I, my story is not as good as yours. I don't know where she went. I think she maybe is doing drinks now. Oh, okay, good now. There she is. Uh, but uh, so recently I went over to shoot a film in Germany with. Uh, about 10 people from Boise, and um, heading into that, uh, A, I have a massive fear of flying, so I was Xanaxed out of my mind the entire trip, and, uh, well, on the way there, and uh, I was also in a 10-year relationship. My boyfriend sent me off the airport, met everybody, and we had a good time saying goodbye, and hey, I hope I don't die in this plane trip. I'm going to watch a lot of Buffy. It's going to be really good. Um, so I get to Germany, and we're shooting, and we, we were planning on being there for, like, about a month and a half, and uh, we finished the shoot, and everything went great, and we realized that, oh, you know, we just wrapped on production. We're supposed to leave uh, tomorrow to head back to the States, and everybody on crew was like, no, you know, we worked really hard. Let's, let's stay in Germany for, like, an extra week, and so all of us kind of pool what little funds we have, and we end up finding hostels, and... Um, one of the actors, Knud, was, uh, he lived in Berlin, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can post some of you guys up for the last three days of your stay. So we stay an extra week in Berlin. On the second to last day before we're supposed to head back to Boise, uh, Knud's like, I've got a surprise for you guys. I'm going to take you to one of my personal favorite clubs. I was like, cool. Knud's a cool guy. He's a really nice guy. And, you know, he's named after a polar bear, or the polar bear is named after him, one of the things. Uh, I trust him. He's a cool dude. And so he's like, okay, only thing is, you know, we got to get on the tram, and uh, it's underground, and then, you know, the entrance to the club is underground. Just make sure you don't wear a lot of bright colors, and don't look too happy. I was like, well, <laughs> well oh, all right, sure, we're going to do this, okay. Uh, so we all kind of dress in our least happy attire, which for most of us was like, honestly, like fucking jeans like this. Like, <laughs> I've got my Levi's on. I'm, I'm sad. <laughs> so that's about the extent of it. And I didn't wear this hat, I promise. Um, but the, yeah, so he was like, okay. And he was like organizing us as we're about to, as we're like walking up the stairs, not quite out of the tram, like to the second level of the tram where you, so you get off the subway and you go upstairs and you can either enter out into the real world or there's this weird black door and this, there's a line for it. And, uh, like this is where we're going I was like into the ground okay um so we get in there he's like arranging us like you two ladies the only two of us that there were on this entire set by the way which is kind of sad uh you two ladies stand next to the saddest or the least sad looking dude and then the rest of you you're fine and so we get into the club pay the fee and it's pitch black and then they lock you in so once you get in you cannot exit and I was like well that's 
frightening. Um, first room that you enter is this death metal show going on. But then you hear kind of slightly this like sweet 90s covers going on like in through this like doorway. So we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that way. And uh, so we enter that way, and it was like all happy-go-lucky. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, follow the stairs up a little bit. This is a four-layer club. Had no idea. Germany's fucking weird. It's great. Um, and so we enter into the 90s room. We jam out there for a bit. And they're like, oh, yeah, you want drinks? The bar, you just go through that door up there. And it's this giant pool with a swing in the center. And then the, there's a bar and, like, a photo booth. And... Granted, there's, like, a group of, like, six of us. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to drink, I want to drink. And then I'm realizing, like, half the people around me are naked. And I'm like... And then I'm, like, starting to slowly capture glimpses along the wall, which are these paintings of lots of, like, very different arrays of dicks. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Some of them glow in the dark. <laughs> okay. I've been in a relationship for ten years, so I've been in a relationship since I was 18, the only relationship I've been in, the only dick I've seen, so I'm sitting there going, do some of them glow in the dark? (laughs) I don't know what's happening. And the only other female on set is one of my best friends who happens to also be a virgin, and so her and I are just sitting there like, we're not long for this club. Um, And then she's like, well, let's maybe just go swimming. And I was like, you know what? We both love water. Let's do this. We're both Pisces. We're getting ready to go swimming. And this German person comes up to us and is like, no, even the men get pregnant in there. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So the only other option while all of our friends are like totally not even like, they're just fine with all the naked people around. They're like, yeah, yeah, we see dicks all the time. I'm like, oh, that's maybe because you guys are. Um, <laughs> we, her and I are just like, how can we escape this? Because we can't obviously leave the club. We're fucking locked in this bitch. Uh, she's like, the photo booth. So we go to the photo booth. And both of us, again, I've been in a relationship for 10 years. She was a virgin. We're both just very like, what are we going to do? And we're like, you know what? We're going to get risque with this. So we're sitting there with the pictures we're having like the conversation. It's like the uh, abnormally long pauses in between the pictures. We just start like I don't know if we're just like missing it. There's not flashes. We're just gonna talk, and uh, and then we start. We're like, well, maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll flash the camera, and uh, and so we start like slowly lifting our shirt, and, like every single one, but like awkwardly holding it for a little while. So we're like, it, did it did it go? Should, should we, the bottom of my areola is hanging out. Do I need to go? Are we ready for the next stage? And then, uh, so finally we like, we're full blown, like shirts, breasts akimbo, everything's just having a good time. And uh, we're like, oh, okay, that was, oh, God, we're so crazy. Oh, <laughs> we're dangerous. Uh, now we just have to put those in our journal. That's like, that's like, each of us will get one we'll put it in our journal because we've each been keeping a journal the whole time not a prayer journal uh, I met Laura after that fact and you know just journal journal um, and so we're like waiting we're like okay we're going to go grab our pictures and then we realize that the pictures actually come out a lot faster than the pictures were actually taken and there was a group of guys these German dudes I'm sure most of them were named Franz or Hans or something and uh, Franz and Hans were all there and they all had our pictures in their hand. And they're like, mmm, I don't know this. I'm just like, fuck. Okay. And my, my friend, she was like, I can't do this. And so I grab them, we run, and then 
basically stand by the locked door until daylight breaks. And it was legitimately daylight. It was like six in the morning. We're both just standing there like, is it time yet? Will you let us out yet? So that was that's my paper experience. Naked breasts on pictures. <laughs> Are you Caroline? Come on up, girl. All right. Well, paper got me into this trouble tonight. They said, oh, I'll just put your name on one side, and we need people for the story slammer, and you think about it. <laughs> and so here I am. So paper... Um, has been in my life for a long time and influenced it, right? Like, papers would come home from school in junior high, and I had the dad that worked from home, so my mom was off at work, and he'd be the first line of defense when the teachers would call or the papers would come home. And, you know, he he was aloof to it all. I was... um, He didn't stay home until I was the last one, the youngest of six, so when he decided to stay home from work and be there for me... Uh, he he didn't know what to do, so it was good. I'd get the papers from the mail, and he worked from home, so he had a whole drawer of papers in his desk that had his signature on them. And the teachers would say, oh, you know, sign this piece of paper, and, uh, you know, that you've acknowledged that I've talked to you about your daughter's behavior in class, and, and you know, send that back with her to school. So, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so he had this great name, Vincent J, you know, Italian name, and I'd write it out, um, loved the way he signed his name. So I'd put my paper over his paper, and I would sign his name and send it in, and, you know, a couple weeks would go by, and more papers would come home. And then finally they got wise to call, like, okay, well, nothing's changing. Maybe I should call this house. So they'd call and talk to my dad, and totally, you know, what's this? They, you know, called me into the office, and I see these papers that I signed, and you know, it looks like my signature, but that, I didn't sign that paper. And uh, what's going on here? And I'm like, don't tell mom. Please don't tell mom. I got this Italian mother, like crazy mom. I'm like, please just don't tell mom. I'll do anything. So I get out another piece of paper, and I write a contract to my dad. I said, okay, uh, one, I will clean your office, you know, twice a week, dust, organize your papers, everything, you know, from home. Two, I will not ask to go out on Friday or Saturday night for two weeks. You know, that seemed reasonable. Two weeks at home. <laughs> so, uh, three, I will, you know, all this stuff, I, I sign it, uh, I sign my name, and Dad, all you got to do is sign this, and just please don't tell Mom. You know, this will be between you and me. Uh, you know, we're, we're together. You and I, it's always us, you know, against the family. And uh, come on, and, you know, don't tell Mom. And so, you know, a couple days go by, he signs his name, and he's chuckling, and I get my first Saturday, I'm cleaning the office, and Mom's like, what you doing? Of course, totally busts me, you know, tells mom. Because, you know, they're still married after 50 years. So good thing he tells mom, right? And whatever. Um, we go on, and um, throughout my life, then I later in life, uh, through various pieces of paper with the boy I've met, um, have lots of adventures and travels. And at one particular adventure, we were in Shoreline um, in California seeing the Grateful Dead. And waited all day in line, get this awesome seat on the lawn. We're just the two of us having a great time. And this couple comes in right as the show's about to start. You know, it's totally filled, packed place. Comes trumpling down and be like, it's just the two of you. Can't we share your blanket? Well, sure, go ahead. Yeah, it's just us. It's fine. And um, so they get on our blanket and the dead start playing. Here comes sunshine. And they turn around with a piece of paper with a little sunshine on it. And it's like, oh, 
okay, sure, this will be great paper adventure, right? So um, we go on, and uh, later on that night, we realized, you know, we didn't really have a place to stay that night. You know, we drove up from Phoenix, and I don't know what we were thinking. We are going to camp somewhere along the way, and they're like, sure, camp with us. And um, it turned out to be... Uh, through that little piece of paper, a great friendship. We shared a camp with them. They actually visited us in Phoenix and ended up moving to Tucson. So, you know, bonding through paper. And I ended up marrying this boy. And then at my rehearsal dinner uh, before our wedding, the night before our wedding, and we have close family and friends there, and we're talking about um, all the day that's going to happen the next day. And we're in Sedona, Arizona, which is another story of paper and camping and our first date actually with this boy and marrying was in Sedona, Arizona and we um, went camping on Schnebly Hill Road when you could just drive up and camp anywhere you wanted there and he said oh it's sunset let's just go for a hike quick put the tent up we'll go for a hike Needless to say we had nothing but paper and a 12 pack of bear for our camping trip that weekend but you know it all worked out paper on the trail and we end up uh, marrying, and my dad pulls out this contract, um, still having me to live up to this contract that I wrote, and presents it to my soon-to-be husband of this piece of paper. So the paper will follow you. There always is a paper trail. <laughs> Next up, we have Fran Scott. Hello. Hello. Any Toastmasters out there? No, Toastmasters is a speech club, so this is going to be like Toastmaster table topics on steroids for me. I'm pretty sure my neighbors think that I'm crazy because every couple of weeks they find me outside in my front yard with a pair of really pretty purple scissors cutting the weeds along my fence because I'm too cheap to buy a weed whacker. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, that's next month, right? <laughs> What do you do when life throws you lemons? Anybody? Make lemonade. Oh, not me. I hate lemonade. It's sour. It makes my lips pucker. So when life throws me lemons, I do one of two things. The first is to plan a grand adventure. So shortly after I got divorced, I planned a 10-day trip to Belize. It was going to be this wonderful scuba diving trip. I'm a scuba diver. And so it was a great trip, but every time I started telling my friends and my sisters and my coworkers about this trip, they said, are you crazy? Why couldn't you plan a trip someplace safe like Hawaii? Well, that's just not my style. So I went to Belize City by myself and found my way to a water taxi and had this grand adventure where I really learned a lesson that I needed to learn in my life on that trip, which was to be my own personal buddy my own diving buddy, my own buddy in life. It was a great lesson. When I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I planned a month-long trip to Australia. And I did something totally different that time. I had my ticket there, one piece of paper, and I had my itinerary back, another piece of paper. Nothing in between. So I flew there into Sydney, and I had the grandest adventure of my life. And I really only saw a tiny part of the country because I really only explored Melbourne to Sydney. And I did dive, I did see kayak, I did meander, I did meet wonderful people, 
And the lesson that I learned on that trip was to go with the flow. You kind of run out of money with this kind of plan. <laughs> so one particular trip that I took, which had nothing to do with lemons, I went to visit a good friend in Seattle for a long weekend. And when I came back, my boyfriend picked me up at the airport, and he's acting kind of weird. We get home, and he stops the truck, and he says, there's something I need to tell you. And he proceeds to tell me that he has moved all of his shit out of my house. Total shock to me, total shock. And we had this great conversation. I call it the exit interview because it was wonderful. <laughs> he didn't ghost away. We had this great talk about what worked, what didn't work. There were tears in my eyes flowing down my face. There were tears in his eyes. It was wonderful. A few days later on Facebook, I get this strange message from a woman that I didn't know. Turns out she had some pretty wonderful adventures with him the last few months as well. So every day I would walk by this empty room in my house. He had his own bedroom, I had my own bedroom, and sometimes we came together in, in one of those bedrooms. But he had his own space, I had my own space, and I was just heartbroken every time I passed by that room. And my daughters, I have three kids, and my two daughters, they remember growing up, and they remember the birthday parties, the family reunions, the New Year's Eve parties, where mom was a confetti queen. I threw confetti everywhere. <laughs> and one of my daughters calls me up one night, and she says, I think we should have a confetti party. So we got four bags of confetti from the dollar store, we went into that room, and we had a confetti party where we just threw oodles of confetti all over that room. There may be a federal offense in this story somewhere. Um, so, so this continued. I still have a confetti room in my home, but I've had parties. I've had confetti parties now. I have invited friends over who are having a rough spot in their life. I say, hey, come on over. Let's have a confetti party. And what's, what's amazing to me is that you go into that room and you grab a handful of these little pieces of confetti paper and these little metallic stars and hearts and unicorns. And you can even get scuba diver confetti, I found, from Oriental Trading Company. <laughs> but when you're in this room and you're throwing this confetti in the air and you're dancing around, you cannot have one negative thought in your head. There's joy in that room. And so... I have a confetti room. I admit it. I'm, I'm a 50-year-old woman, and I have a confetti room. I still have a confetti room, and I don't know when I'm going to stop having a confetti room. I've told my, my daughters that my goal is to have the carpet completely covered with confetti. A, f a couple weeks after I found out about the other woman, my ex-boyfriend sends me a text and says, Hey, could you, could you put my mail in the mailbox for me to this address? I said, no, I don't think I owe you those 50 steps to the mailbox. And furthermore, I'm going to punch holes in all of your mail. <laughs> and so I did. And I continue to do it to this day because he still hasn't changed his address. So every time a piece of mail comes to my house, including jury duty summons, including oh, insurance payment requests, whatever it may be, 
I punch little holes into his mail, and I take it into my confetti room, and I throw it up in the air, and you would not believe how happy it makes me. Thank you. Our final storyteller for the night is Betsy. Okay, just so you know, Karen told me I wasn't going to come up here, so I had an extra beer. So just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> so the thing I love about this is that I've been listening to all these stories, and I was like, okay, I could tell the story about my divorce. I could tell the story about when I spent time in Alaska. I could even tell the story about tripping on acid. But what I've decided to tell is a story about love. <laughs> but just to make it a little dirty, I have to say, my tits look nothing like these women on the wall. <laughs> They're beautiful tits. I got great tits, but not like the women on the wall. <laughs> so, this is the story of how I ran off with the Elvis impersonator at my wedding. I was young, I was trying to figure things out, and I decided that I was going to get married. I loved him very much. This is not about him, he's a fabulous person. Nothing bad to say about him. That's the beauty of divorce sometimes, is sometimes it's not anybody's fault. It's just a beautiful thing that it ends. <laughs> so, the Elvis impersonator and I start a torrid affair. It is pretty torrid in Portland, Oregon. Lots of uh, exciting things, including uh, the Ben Stark Hotel, for those of you who knew Portland back in the day. <laughs> and uh, so we decide to get the divorce. So the paper number one means nothing, right? Because I've fallen in love. The first paper that I've signed, based on the first person story, uh, means nothing. I'm moving on. So uh, we've moved on and we've decided that we're going to get married. And uh, my Elvis impersonator, who I'm madly in love with, says we should elope to Vegas and we should get married at the Graceland Chapel. And I'm like, I'll, I'm on board. Sounds fabulous. So, <laughs> so we go to Vegas and we actually invite everybody. Uh, you know, to backtrack, I tell my parents at the time, I say, listen, you know, to my mother, I say, we watch a lot of days of our lives back in the day. Remember how you were really rooting for Bowen Hope? You gotta root for Bowen Hope, Mom. This is Bowen Hope. And so, uh, so my mom was like, all right, I buy into it. Go with it. Whatever you want to do. This is your life. You know, make your own decisions. So the Elvis impersonator and I let everyone know, his parents, my parents, all of our friends, we say, come to Vegas with us this weekend. It'll be really fun. We don't tell anybody that we're going to be getting married this weekend. So we end up getting three friends, uh, our friend from Portland and the girl he likes, and our friend from San Francisco who likes all girls. And uh, we don't tell them that we're going to get married. And so, you know, me obviously, I'm on number two. I'm sort of, I'm 25 years old at this point. I feel kind of a little bit like, is this it? Am I going to keep doing this over and over again? So I go down to the bar at the Plaza Hotel in downtown uh, Las Vegas, and I start drinking screwdrivers as quickly as I can. And uh, <clears throat> the friends come down. We have a white cheesy limo pull up. 
the friends get in and we said, yeah, you know, it's Vegas. Let's take a limo to the show that we're going to go to. The friends are all on board. We get in the limo. We drive down the street. If those of you who know Vegas, we drive down the, the Wedding Chapel Street. And we pull into the, the Graceland Chapel. And uh, we get out. And our, well, on our way there, one of our friends says, let's crash a wedding. And the Elvis impersonator says, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So when we get out, they all are just like, no way. This is crazy. What's going on? We're going to crash a wedding. And we're like, yeah, let's crash a wedding. And so we get out. And the Elvis impersonator comes around the corner. And there's a lady in cut-off jeans, cut-off shirt, butt in, butt in a can in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And she says, you must be Mr. Fink. We roll in. And we have the most amazing wedding. I'm drunk which is good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the Elvis impersonator was, was gracious enough to allow an Elvis impersonator to walk me down the aisle. <laughs> the Elvis impersonator says, what song should I sing to you? And uh, we don't know. We can't decide. And, and so we say, well, sing a song that no one ever asks you to sing. You know, sing a song that's like a surprise. So he sings, uh, uh, it's now or never, <laughs> which is completely appropriate. And um, the, 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 entire, the wedding in its entirety costs about $300. So we leave the, we leave the wedding chapel. We have the, the, the preacher, the Reverend Roy Cobb, has signed the wedding certificate. And uh, we end up going to Binion's, which is our favorite place to gamble. And uh, we spend the rest of the evening gambling. My husband, uh, my husband at the time says, uh, I'm gambling. And he comes over and he asks me for money. And he says, she wastes my time. I waste her money. <laughs> so we uh, end up having this great night. And we lose track of the wedding certificate. Our friend that's with us ends up having an evening with a bunch of Australian girls, a few of them which came home to our bedroom in the Plaza Hotel because we don't come home that night and when we do come home we realize that the beds are a mess and that he sent one home in a taxi and he's had a great time. And uh, so, you know, we have a, for me, the, the, I had a lot of guilt about that first piece of paper being put away and put aside and not being important. So the second piece of paper, we lost. We didn't know what happened to it. A week later, we get a uh, package in the mail. It's folded, it's crusty, it's got a drink on it, and it's our wedding certificate. We actually went ahead and mailed it, and we made it legal. 20 years later, <laughs> yesterday, just to make it a little dirty, I'm having a bad day. Two kids, some house purchases, some moves later, and my husband says, you're having a bad day. You need to get fucked in the shower. <laughs> I'm like, that's right, baby. That's what it is. 20 years later, that piece of paper has been the only thing at some times that's kept us together. It's been a rough road, but it's been completely worth it. And it's now or never. For listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party. Board members Bob Haycock, Jody Eichelberger, Amy Moran, 
Hannah Schaefer, Karen Moore, and Elizabeth McKenna, volunteer coordinator Ginny Estes, and yours truly, Jessica Holmes. The Late Night Season is brought to you with generous support from the iconic Over 19 shot. Paper was made possible with the support of Edwards Greenhouse. Talk about poultry. Along with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. Props to the DJ magic of Stardust Lounge. The podcast production of Stephen Baltazare. The Late Night theme song by Ned Evett. And the show photography by Paul Betch. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter at Story Story Night.